Good morning, God first. Morning, morning. I'm so excited to finally be able to preach um, in front of a packed hall. Usually we've just been staring at the, at the screen and no life behind it. And I'm so excited that today that there is a bit of life. Now, yeah, you. I hope there's going to be real life. There's going to be a difference. There's going to be amens. There's going to be hallelujah. There's going to be preach that hallelujah. Amen. And we are going to all be living here. I almost feel like this morning, what has been preached here today, um, it's almost like God is, tearing, is, 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 is preparing us for something. It's almost like I could literally sit down and not say much, but God says, actually, continue to, to share because obviously I have an appointment with somebody and I'm focusing my messaging on that particular um, area of our lives. And I'm going to tell you what's that as we continue and preach. Now, this morning, I almost didn't make it to church. Now, imagine the preacher is not in church. So in our culture, when the preacher is late, they say, In other words, you wait for the pastor by song. So you sing and sing and sing. So if I come at 6 p.m., a, a good disciple will still be singing until Umfundisi arrives. So I hope you are going to do that Should I, if I was unable to make it this morning. And one, the reason for that was that when I tried to open my garage door, it just refused to open. So garage gate, when I was trying to leave. The worst thing that can happen on a Sunday morning before you preach. And so I opened the, the little um, box there, trying to figure out what's, what's happening. You know, and I'm pressing, it's not working. I'm like, is there power? Is there no power? And there was a live wire. That, something that seemed like a live wire there. And now, I think the quickest way for me to find out if the, the thing was receiving power, maybe the problems with the, gen the, the battery, it would have been for me to just stick my hand and touch that, that wire, right? Do you agree? It would be the quickest way. But... I didn't do it because I was chicken. I was chicken. Now, don't be chicken. By a show of hands, who here has ever been told, don't be chicken? Lovely. All right. If you didn't lift up your hand, you are just too chicken. <laughs> you are just too chicken. Now, I, let me confess something. So, I think I was more terrified of that word, don't be chicken, than being chicken. It being chicken itself, being, being afraid of something. And, uh, but I, as I've grown up, I've come to conclude that the person who coined the term, don't be chicken, doesn't quite know what they're talking about. Now, I'll tell you why I am saying that. Now, growing up, I did a lot of crazy things. The reason I did the crazy stuff is so that no one can say I'm too chicken to do it. So I'll do it so that I don't get the tag, tag that is being chicken. And so... For a very long time growing up, I was scared of chickens. Now, you say, Temba, you're a village boy. How the heck can a village boy be scared of chickens? So, well, not, not for the entire duration of my, of, my, of my young days, but for about four years or so, I was terrified of chickens. Now, that is an embarrassing confession that I've just made. Amen. Amen. I, I, need to, <laughs> I need to confess everything, in my sins and the embarrassing moments. Now... Why was I chicken or scared of chickens? Now, at home we had this chicken coop. My granny kept a chicken coop. And every morning she would wake up and she would go and, and dip in a, in a, a, a 
um, tank full of, full of um, a drum, sorry, full of maize. And she'll scoop the maize and she'll cook, 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 and she'll fling the maize and the chickens will scurry and feast on the scattered maize on the ground. And I remember this one day as this was happening, because what I would do as a kid, I'd always go to the chicken coop, even when I was crawling, even when I was walking, I'll go to the chicken coop and I'll start playing with the, with the chicks and chasing them around, they'll run away from me. Until this day, I saw these beautiful chicks. They were so inviting, they were like yellowish color, and they were like fluffy, and I just could not resist. And I grabbed one of these little chicks, and I had it in my hand. And I see Manja there, he's like, don't do that. He's just shaking his head there. So I, gra I, grab I grabbed one of the chicks, and before I knew it, I heard loud wings flapping. When I turned in the direction of the noise, there was dust in the air, and there was, I mean, Usain Bolt had nothing on this mother hen, and she headed towards me with flary hackle feathers, and I must have thought she was trying to give me a hug, because my granny said, I dropped the chick and I opened up my arms this way, and a kiss perhaps even, because, because she went for my lips, and she started picking my lips, and in a matter of moments, I was on the floor, WWE style, mother hen was on top. Now, my granny, <laughs> seeing all of this commotion, she rushed to my defense and she scooped me out of danger. She scooped me out of danger. And I was so tempted to, to, to name the sermon, don't be, um, don't be Chicken, but I resisted successfully. But she scooped me out of danger. Now, we as believers, we know somebody in our lives who scooped us out of danger. And while I'm leaving you here, I said I was, I was scared of chickens, but I, 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 I overcame that fear. And I'm going to rely on you to just remind me, to, remi to tell you why or how I overcame my fear of chickens. Now, my granny scooped me out of danger. So who in our lives we know that scooped us out of danger? That is Jesus Christ. He scooped us out of danger. Now, in this particular situation, you can say, I was the one potentially at fault. I shouldn't have been messing with the, the little chicks. But my granny, nonetheless, she scooped me out of danger. And I know she did that because she cared and she had compassion over me. And I'm saying here that Jesus Christ scooped you and I out of danger by coming down from heaven to earth to die a sinless death for our sins and be resurrected so that you and I can be scooped out of the danger of sin and death in our lives. And that is why I'm, I've titled this message, The Compassion of the King. The Compassion of the King. And before we really dive into the meat of it, I'm going to ask all of us to stand, please. And if you can put your, your hand where your heart is, and we're going to sing, and sing along with me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Oh, yes, yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus loves Sari. Yes, Jesus loves Sari. Yes, Jesus loves Sari. Yes, Jesus loves Sari. 
The Bible tells me so. If you are new to this church, yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus loves you. Oh, yes, Jesus loves you. The Bible tells me so. Yeah, boy. Yeah, boy. Oh, Jesus. Oh, young Tanda. Oh, young Tanda. Oh, young Tanda. Hallelujah. You can give yourself a round of applause and take a seat. So if you forget anything that I preached this morning, just remember this, that Jesus Christ loves you. Jesus loves each and every one of us here. And that's why I'm preaching a message that's talking about the compassion of the King. Now we have learned up until this point that we have, what's the name? We we, we learned that Jesus Christ, last week Greg preached that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ could calm the storms. We learned that he can heal diseases. We learned that he, he has power even over the forces of darkness by delivering people from demonic possession. So we, we get the point that he is the king who is able to, to have power over even the elements of this world. So we agree that he is powerful. He can do nothing. He cannot fail. But now today, we're getting into a glimpse of the heart of Jesus Christ, that why he does the things that he does. And we read from, from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, we get a glimpse of his loving compassion. Now, there is a Greek word that I, I will resist to say. There is, you know, what is a sermon without a little bit of Greek? But this word in particular is very complicated for me. But it just simply means... Uh, Scarlett, you can put it up on the screen, but it just simply means that Jesus, Jesus felt compassion all the way from his gut. It was a deeply felt compassion, and it's a, it's a Greek word that if you, are, you love Bible study, you can go and investigate. But the point here is all the miracles that Jesus Christ did, whether it was calming the storm or healing the sickness and, uh, and, uh, and, and feeding the 5,000, it was all driven by his compassion the compassion that Jesus Christ had for, for us. Now, we see him looking at the crowds now when he's, when, he's, when he's been moving from village to village, declaring the kingdom and telling the people the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom is, is, has arrived, and he heals every disease, he heals every sickness. And we see that when he sees the crowd, Jesus Christ has compassion. And out of that compassion, is where, it's where Jesus would touch other people's lives. And my question is, in our lives, because since the Bible, we are all followers of Jesus Christ. I think Paddy mentioned it earlier, that the fact that we are all believers, we ought to be followers of Jesus Christ. So that word disciple, it just simply means somebody who follows Jesus Christ. So anything that Jesus Christ would do, we are supposed to follow suit. And our, we should do life 
the same way Jesus Christ did life in our various areas that God has put us. And so Jesus Christ looks at the crowd and he has compassion. And my question is, in your space, in your life, when you look at your neighbor that's next to you, that is a sinful neighbor, are you moved by compassion? When you think about that friend of yours, or maybe it's not even a friend, it's somebody that you are not so fond of, and that person is, is, is a gossiper, for example. Are you moved by compassion? We saw in July, we saw multitudes, crowds, gathering on the streets, looting. And the question is, was your heart moved by compassion at seeing the lawlessness that, you were, that, that was happening at the time? Did your heart move with compassion? And I must confess that there are certain things in my life that I struggle to be moved by compassion. And the exhortation here is we have also got to be compassionate. Everything that we do, it must be driven by compassion. Then point number two is that we must call on the king. Let's call on the king together. Now, the main theme that is coming out of here is that Jesus Christ is the shepherd. And I will go to the next verses now. In the shepherd always makes his people, his sheep, drink water. It's very hot in here, so it's part of the sermon, by the way. The shepherd always leads his, his sheep to drink water. So we must call on the king. Now, Jesus Christ is saying here, he says, Speak, the, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers. It says we must pray and ask that there be people who help us to be able to, to do the work that God has called us to do. And the work here, in, 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 in essence, he's, he first uses one. He uses a simile. He says the people are like sheep without a shepherd. And so when he says people are like sheep, without a shepherd. In other words, they don't have this lordship that Sari was preaching about this morning. They don't see Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so anytime anybody does not have Jesus Christ as their Lord and, and Savior, they are like a sheep without a shepherd. In other words, they are open to, to, to being vulnerable to the elements, the elements of sin in their lives can persuade them and move them into different directions. But ultimately, the biggest thing that they are vulnerable to is an eternal separation from God where they can live their lives without knowing God. And the Bible says if we die and we don't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we will, we will forever, ever be separated by God from God in, in eternal damnation. And so, Anyone who is not in the fold, who's, who doesn't have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are a sheep without a shepherd. And so our job is to make sure that we try and get as many people to, be, to have a shepherd who is offering his services, and that is Jesus Christ, who is offering his services to shepherd the vulnerable, the vulnerable in our lives, the vulnerable in this nation. And so we are called to go out there preaching and proclaiming the good news, just like how Jesus Christ was going about proclaiming and preaching the good news. So we pray in our context. We pray that God will send more elders, will send more people who will go out and preach the gospel by planting churches. He'll send whether it's missionaries or just normal believers in a sense of being a marketplace Christian, Christians who go out and they declare this love of Jesus, who don't only say, Jesus loves me, but they understand, like Patty was saying, that Jesus loves us. He loves you and I. We must love others as we love ourselves. He doesn't love us alone, but He loves others too. So we go into our workplaces and we declare the love of Jesus Christ. 
so that they also can get to know and appreciate this good shepherd. Now, the next thing that we are asked to do, we are asked to, we are asked to work as well. So we need to co-labor with the king, co-labor with Jesus Christ. That is our call, to co-labor with him. And we acknowledge that we cannot do this thing without him. So again here, we have a situation where the, he uses, the, first he uses the simile of, of the harvest, which is plentiful. Now the harvest, we know it's, it's, it's all the people who are in need of salvation, all the people who need Jesus Christ. And when we look around in our, in our city, we understand that, I mean, we have the highest unemployment rate, for example. But yet in the kingdom of God, in fact, there's more jobs than there are people. Because there are so many people who need to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so we need to also go out and co-labor with the King by sharing this good news, telling others that God loves them too. Now, there's various things that cause us to struggle, that cause us to struggle, or the things that prevent us from going out there and loving others the way Jesus Christ would have us. And we don't do what we're supposed to do. Like, for example, if you take this church, for example, let's say for argument's sake, we are, there's only 150 of us. And each one of us goes out and tells people about the love of God and say, Jesus Christ did this for me each year. If we do that consistently, over 10 years, we will need a hall that can fit 76,800 people. And that is a huge number. Obviously, we'll plant churches, we'll do whatever. And you might be saying, that's too much. But that's not. If you consider that Joburg has got about six, 6 million people living in the city of Joburg, most of which don't know God. If you go out to the rest of the country, 60 million. So there is so many people who are in desperate need for God, especially when we look at what is happening now in relation to COVID, that we know that people, there's, there's, there's a multiplicity of needs. They, they, people needing jobs, people needing food. Some people are, are, are struggling with diseases and suffering. And Jesus Christ used their needs as the entry point to bless them with something bigger and to bless them with eternal life. And so in our lifetime, I don't remember a time where the harvest field is more ready than it is today. It is ready. But the workers are so few. People who will say, I will go out and do it, are so few. Now, why I'm saying this, that there are so few, um, it's not, not why that I'm saying that the reason it's so few is because all of us, there's certain things that we worship other than making Jesus Christ our Lord, like Sari was saying, that we can all say he is the rabbi, but he's a rabbi who only does teaching. And he also does say, he says, how do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things that I say? That calling Jesus Christ Lord needs or it requires that we do what the Lord says. And so we go out and we share the good news. The challenge, though, that I must confess is something that I also personally struggle with, is that we struggle, the first thing that prevents us is our love for comfort. Now he uses the, the harvest field. Now, if you've never grown up in a space where either a farm or a village where people lived off the land in terms of planting stuff and eating of it, you, you may be predisposed to look at the harvest with glamorized lenses. Like, okay, what happened? I mean, I mean when there's a harvest, it's just a joyous time. Yes, it is joyous that you feed and you eat on stuff. 
But it's not entirely joyous in the sense of the work that is required for that harvest. Now, I remember growing up when we had to, uh, when it was time to harvest the mealies or the potatoes, whatever vegetable we had planted uh, back in the village, what would happen is my friends generally would be playing soccer. And I could hear the ball, the ball being kicked, you know, go, 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 hey, pasipola, shibobo, and so on. And uh, my heart was definitely not in the mealies at that moment. I wanted to do anything but be stuck in the mealies. So already I had to compromise and come and, and focus. My grain was say, hum, hum, ambo, 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 kumbil. But then when I've overcome that I'm not going to play, when I get to the, to the, to, to, to the, to the mealy field, it's not as glamorous either. There's blackjacks that you get in there. There's, there's weeds that give you little pimples. There's like little thistles sometimes, you know. So you are bruised and scarred by the end of the day. You have to wake up 3 o'clock in the morning until sunset for days on end. And that's just, that just becomes your life. And that wasn't a joyous occasion. It may be joyous if I was a foreman who just points at you, yeah, how many? Five, two. But if you are the actual worker going out there, it is not as glamorous as it seems. And I would submit that even going out and sharing the gospel, it is joyful when we see people's lives being changed. But it is not as glamorous as, as just say it's a harvest field, you know. And, but we are called to go out and, and, and labor. The next thing that we struggle that causes us not to go into, into the mission field is, is, is for example, we, we lack the conviction. We lack the conviction to, to go out and do what we know Jesus Christ said we must do. Now, what is conviction? Conviction is just a strong sense of belief in the importance of something. Is it truly important for me to go out and preach, to go out and share the gospel, to tell my friend I love dearly, but I'm worried, I'm concerned for their eternity? If they would die today, how would I feel? What, what would I think? Would I feel guilty? And if I lack the conviction to say their lives matter so much that I don't care about the potential, you know, to an extent, the potential um, uh, rejection that I might receive from, from them rejecting Christ, but I care them beyond that. And so I will have the conviction. Now, when we talk about, when we talk about conviction, so my earliest recollection of appreciating conviction was when we didn't have sheep, like what the, 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 the scripture says here, but we had... Um, we had cattle. And so we would go out in the mountains and fetch cattle and all that kind of stuff. But again, sometimes it's like it does seem glamorous than it actually is. Because what you have to do, you have to go out and you have to, um, I mean, they, these cattle, they can, they, wherever there's grass, they will go. So they can go 10 kilometers, they can go whatever distance they need to go to be able to graze and that kind of stuff. And certain times it would be raining and, and they will disappear behind a curtain of white and you could not see the cattle. And you'll get inside, inside the forest, it's dark and you can't see what you're looking for. You just keep on looking. These cows were here. Where could they have went? Where is another place that they potentially could be? You ask people, other guys said, did you see our cows? They are like this and like that and all that kind of stuff. I remember the one day I was, I was call it politely, I was, I was finished. I was heartful. I was like, you know what? I can't find these cows. I'm going back home and I'm going to tell them that I did not find the cows. Now, for me, I did not have the conviction <laughs> to go beyond what I thought I could give at the time. So I went straight home and said, you know what? I'm bruised, I'm tired, I'm wet. 
I'm feeling miserable. I'm just going to go and own up. They must do whatever they want to do. I'm owning up now, and I can't find these cars. So I walk at home, and just I'll summarize it, but the beating was so bad that I realized, I realized, <laughs> then I, I realized that I would rather lose a limb than come back home without the cows. So the cows, I realized for that day, I never, ever lost the cows. But we went, we had to travel over 30Ks within a week, looking and looking until we didn't even go to school. We had to bring the cows home. That's how serious it was. And I get the sense that that's how Jesus Christ is like too about his sheep. He says he leaves the 99 and he goes and he, fa- he, finds, he finds the one. And how convicted was he? He was so convicted that he would die for his sheep. That's how much he believes in people coming to know him as their Lord and Savior. And then the last point is our lack. Amen, amen. Our, our lack of conviction. Our, sorry, our lack of courage. We lack the courage. Now, I'm just mentioning that sometimes you'll disappear into the forest. Now, in winter, 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. inside the forest, and it's dark inside there, and there's funny sounds, it's, it, it, ta- it takes a lot of courage, especially if you have uncles that tell you every day around the campfire how they see ghosts every day, how the ghosts are without. So every tree that you start seeing is like a ghost, you know, but you still have to go inside there and look for the, for the cows and, and bring them back home, you know. And so we had to, we had to go and, 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 and in that environment go and look. Also, you also had the guys that steal the cows. So they, the, 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 the thieves, you must be ready to put on a fight. So you can't come back home and you're looking clean, no bruise, no bebong, nothing. The cows are not here. They took them from me. How? What's wrong with you? You are supposed to put on a good fight and sort of like a tooth, tooth missing and so on <laughs> to see that actually, you know what? He did all he could, like a few broken bones or whatever. At least as a sign that you just didn't let the cows be taken. You did something. And so, so um, you, we, lack, we lack the courage. But I want to say this for me. I said I'll tell you how come I, over, I overcame my fear, of, my fear of, uh, of chickens. My brother, who was kind of very older than me, he, the, the, the man... Uh, the man was very gifted. He could slan. You know, in Afrikaans, say slan or blixem. I used to think it's black Sam. I was like, what about the white Sam? But anyways, <laughs> he, could, he, could, he, could, he could use the rod very effectively. And so, <laughs> warming all the, right, the, the tender places. And so, I was terrified of him. You know, so when his eyes started popping and his voice got deep, I knew that whatever he said, he said, jump, I will really really, really jump very high. But then, <laughs> he had this chicken business that he was selling, this where he wanted me to take these chicks and put it in this other room that he had created. And I was scared of the chickens. But when I looked at him, I was also scared of him. So now I was in between. And I'm looking at the chickens and I'm looking at him, and I'm not sure now what decision to make. <laughs> but when I looked at his face, I was like, okay, the chick will peck me, <laughs> but the beating that will come from there, I'm not prepared to deal with it. And so I grabbed the chicken. Despite my fear, I grabbed the chicken and I overcame that fear. Now, I was, t- I was terrified of him. Now, we are not supposed to be terrified of God because God is, is, is not, is, is, we are not supposed to, he's powerful, yes, but we are not supposed to be terrified. But there's something that I think is quite important there. There is a reverential fear that we need for God. 
Not a terror fear, but a reverential fear of who God is in our lives. Jesus Christ says this in Matthew 10, verses 27. He says, whatever I tell you at night, he says, speak about it in the light. Whatever I whisper to you, speak on the rooftops. He says, rather, do not fear the one who can kill just your body, right? And, and unable to kill your soul. But fear, he says this, Jesus says, fear the one who can kill both your body and your soul. So the truth is, God or Jesus Christ, at the end of it all, he will crush his enemies. And so when we go there, we don't go there like sheep. With, we, we don't go there like people, like, like sheep without a shepherd in a, in a sense that we are not protected by him. He is our protector. And I mentioned the fact that the chick came and I took the, I started attacking me. The Bible uses the illustration or the metaphor of chicken that God's love for you and I, it's like, it's like a mother loving their young. If you read the book of the, in Hosea, Jesus, the Bible refers to God as, as mother hen. Jesus Christ said, how I would have gathered my people like a hen gathers his chicks, which means his love for you, the way he wants to protect you, is the same way as the chick was willing to protect its little young. Yes, I was bigger than it. I could have killed it at any time. But it was saying, you're not going to get close to my chicks. And my encouragement to you is that it doesn't matter where you are called to serve God. Always know that he is your good shepherd. He will protect you with all, with all there is. And he is, he, is, um, he is going to be your protector. And I'm going to ask the band to come up now. That's why David reminds us in Psalm 23. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Whom shall I fear? Sorry, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me down the path of righteousness. Why? For his namesake. And he says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear, what? I will fear no evil because he is with me. Because who is with me? Who is with me? The Lion of Judah, the Rock of Ages, the King of Kings, the good and great shepherd is the one that is, that is with us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I hope you're encouraged with that. And we're going to be singing again a song in the Highlands. And... Just think about it as we are, we are singing and worshiping this song. Just think about him as being that great shepherd. As being that great shepherd. And that's why we will worship him on the mountaintop, but we will also worship him when the mountain is in the way. Over to the band. <laughs>